Hello and welcome to the More Than Words podcast, brought to you by Rosetta Stone UK, preparing you for real-world conversations in new languages. I'm Alex Southwaite, and in this podcast series, we immerse ourselves in other cultures by hearing different stories that will inspire, fascinate, and educate. I speak to intrepid travellers, expert linguists, career climbers, and sporting stars as they discuss how language can enrich your life and unlock a door to a new world that enables a deeper connection to the people and places around you. In our very first episode, we delve into language's influence on culture and how an in-depth knowledge allows us to understand different people, customs, and heritage on a far deeper level. And joining me to talk about their own personal stories today are two very exciting guests, Evan Edinger and Susie Dent. Now, Evan is a travel blogger, photographer, and YouTube star. And Susie is an etymologist, linguist, author, broadcaster, and TV favorite on Countdown. Welcome to you both. Hi. Thank you. So to start off the discussion, very easy. Tell me both, how did you begin your journey into learning languages? Well, for me... Um, the story I always tell is actually sitting in the bath, weirdly, and looking at shampoo bottles, which, let's face it, probably had the most boring ingredients in the world. And just staring at them before I could read and just being completely entranced by these swirling exotic characters. Um, as I say, you know, it's a good job I didn't know how to decode them because they wouldn't be very interesting. But I was just drawn into them. And also, I think I could just about tell that there were different different kinds of characters as well so there's probably Cyrillic on there in Arabic and it kind of grew from there to be honest I was very swatty and very geeky long before it became cool um, and we'd sit in the back of my parents car we'd be going on trips to the seaside and be incredibly cold and all I wanted to do was stay in the back of the car and read French and German vocabulary books uh, not so that I could do well at school, I think, but just so that I could amass as, as many words and phrases as I could. So I was slightly strange from that point of view. Um, but, you know, I'm so happy, actually, that I found that that sort of pleasure and that passion quite early on. And what was your journey to learning languages, Evan? Because uh, I grew up in the States, you know, I had to take uh, Spanish growing up since like fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade, basically every year. Uh, and it was just a course that I enjoyed. I just enjoyed foreign languages because I thought they were fun and I excelled at them easily. But then as soon as I graduated from high school, I just kind of let it go because I had that pretty sad mentality of like, what am I going to need Spanish? I live in <laughs> US of A. Um, and so sadly, I lost a lot of my Spanish. You don't use it, you lose it. Um, and so basically uh, when I moved to London I started working at a couple startups and uh, during my lunch breaks I started thinking like what if there was a way I could use my time in my lunch break more effectively so that I was building a skill and I quickly remembered like oh uh, maybe I could learn a language uh, so I spent about 15 minutes to uh, 30 minutes every like work day uh, just doing a bit of German um, and then slowly but surely I gained enough fluency to hold basic conversations and then I just kept building upon that until now I can now I can read and write and speak basically. I think a lot of people probably similar to you Evan maybe when they're at school they're thinking why do I need languages I'm yeah. all this and turn off during the classroom what do you think that teachers can do from to motivate younger people to want to learn um, and encourage them like Susie was encouraged at such a young age? I think it's such a good idea to just 
talk more about the cool stuff about a language and the language's culture. Um, I find that when I've initially started learning German, you know, it is just memorize as many words as you can and understand what the infinitives and grammar and things like that. However, when I really started finding a passion for the language was when I started learning more about the intrinsic cultural um, parts of it. So it's almost, I find, impossible to get past like A2 of a language without at least slightly learning about the culture, such as like, you'll have to learn specific verbs and words that don't exist in English because the celebration doesn't exist here or uh, because that as a phenomenon doesn't really exist in our culture. And so you then start to find it way more interesting. Um, and I feel like if in school teachers tried to bring out more of those like uniquely intrinsic cultural values that the language has with it, maybe kids would be more interested like, oh, that's, I didn't know about that. That's quite interesting. Do you think you've been able to learn a language more easily when you've actually been immersed in the culture yourself then outside of the classroom environment? I mean, yeah. Um, I moved to Munich for a month and a half just to try and immerse myself because I figured as much as I liked learning online, it was only going to get me so far. And yeah, forcing myself to be in an area where I just have to speak the language, your brain just goes into fight or flight. All right. <laughs> I'm fighting to get my hair cut and only speak German. I don't want to go bald, you know. Uh, so ended up getting a good haircut, and that was my first, like, positive experience. I got immersed, and my German improved from there. It was, I think the confidence is so hard to build, but getting immersed for a small amount of time and having to use it and being like, oh, people didn't speak in English to me. That's nice. So helps build up my confidence, yeah. So Susie, you talked a little bit about how personally important languages are to you, but how has it helped you professionally to know a number of languages? Um, well, two ways. I just want to come back on something actually that Evan said, which I think is really, really important because he was talking about how building confidence happens quite often when you're talking to somebody um, in their language and you know, and then they respond to you in their language and they don't have much, they know English, they will keep going, keep that conversation going because there is nothing more disheartening and it happens to me <laughs> so often um, when you're in a foreign country and you really try out of respect and because you want to, you know, immerse yourself in that culture, there's nothing more disheartening when you ask something and then they just come straight back at you with English. Um, and that's happened to me so often in, um, in Spain particularly, which is why I've decided to really, through Rosetta Stone, really try and, and learn Spanish um, because it's just soul destroying. <laughs> but when it comes to how it's helped me professionally, well, I guess my whole career, every gig I have is, is based on language. So in terms of etymology, you know, a grasp of Latin and German because English is a Germanic language at heart. Um, and then we had the French coming in after the Norman conquest. And, you know, we've also got so many words from Latin, etc. All of those have helped me hugely to kind of decode a word and to know its kind of linguistic um, story, I guess. And then also, um, I think just I think the fact if you're if you are open to another culture and you're open to another language, then that says something about you and it speaks to your passion and it speaks very much to your personality. So I think, you know, that is all incredibly important as well. Um, 
and and in terms of culture I remember just my, my German teacher somehow managed to navigate the really fine line between not stereotyping a nation and yet also trying to unpick what they call linguistic relativism or whatever that you know trying to unpick that what does this say about a country and I remember putting my hand up when she taught us how Germans say what time is it and they say wie spät ist es how late is it and um, I, I just remember putting my hands up and saying what why do they say how late is it and she said well in my experience you know Germans quite often are very anxious that they they arrive on time and if you say how late is it that already gives you that kind of slight anxiety that you've got to get somewhere um, punctually and she said that's just my experience you know you may feel differently and I loved that I loved the kind of insight into the personality of a nation or you know or, or the speakers through little nuggets of of their language and um i think that's really important as well and that sort of set me on a path to probing you know what lies behind the words and what it says about an individual or a nation you've obviously learned german as well evan and i've watched some of your most recent videos and there's one where you're talking about how in german you can use one word to describe something, whereas in maybe in English, it would take 10 words to describe the same phenomenon. It's so much easier if you don't know what you want to say in German to know what you want to say, because if you don't know the specific word, you can just make it up and Germans <laughs> will 100% know exactly what you mean. So if you want to say like the mistake that one makes after a night of partying of not eating a good meal in the morning, there's a word you can make by just stringing along like mistake, hangover, breakfast or something. And I that, feel like I should learn that word. Yeah. <laughs> the Fehler Frühstück machen Fehler. I don't know. I'm, I'm trying my best. I love your example, Evan. You've got schnapps idee, which is schnapps brilliant. Idee, yeah. And you mentioned that on your video. And that's the kind of the, the insight, the moment of insight that you get uh, when you're drunk or when you've drunk too much schnapps. So it, it could go either way. It could be brilliant or it could be just completely worthless. But yeah, it's things like that which are brilliant. Yeah. Even things like the word greenery, which, you know, like shrubs is just green stuff, which <laughs> it really tells you everything you need to know. It's green. It's stuff. It's green stuff. Grunzeug. So perfect. It's quite like Lego, and uh, there was yeah. a great book. I don't know if you if you've seen it, but it was called Schottenfreude, and it was a book compiled by Ben Schott, who used to just produce lots of language miscellanies, and he, um, he decided to find all the linguistic gaps in English that he could think of, and get a German translator to to make up a word um, that kind of, you know, that translated it exactly. And there were some brilliant ones like Deppenfahrerbeäugung, um, which is the compulsion to stare at someone you're overtaking in your car. Um, and also Speichergleichmut, which is, I think it's saliva stoicism, and that's pretending not to notice when someone spits on you in conversation. And he ah. just literally, it's just like Lego, as I say, you just kind of, you get one word and you just build it up and build it up and build it up. And um, you just get linguistic whoppers that are just, amazing and very beautiful I think. and i think because english is such a germanic language uh the language of english i feel like is way more accepting of just throwing in a german word when we don't have one yeah um such as sometimes i hear schadenfreude uh and wanderlust is is a good yeah. one that people use quite often and yeah. that's just a hundred percent german word that we're just like you know what yeah it's good we'll just take that i'd probably never have described german as a poetic language you know if you'd asked me i'd maybe have said oh italian it's so poetic but mm, the way yeah. you're using these words <laughs> the way you're using these words now it really does sound poetic to me ghost there's a lot of famous german poets i'd say I'd, I'd say the language because of the grammar and the structure really allows for 
more poetry, I'd say, and uh, com- creating sentences with structural form to flow as poetry does. So in terms of immersing yourself in a culture, obviously when we're traveling, a lot of people now, they don't want to be a tourist. They want to be mm-hmm. living like a local. So apart from the obvious, like being able to order a coffee, how has knowing a local language allowed you to properly immerse yourself in a culture? I think that well first of all I think there's more of an acceptance um really from the people that you're speaking to so it's almost like they're inviting you into the culture um you know otherwise it's it's like just eating at McDonald's all the time um it's the kind of linguistic equivalent of that you will never kind of get beyond the barriers of your own culture because you're not stepping beyond the kind of linguistic boundaries in a way um and you know you can romanticize it a bit I think but but the, the sort of the intrinsic beliefs of of a country is is enshrined in their language and I just don't think you can ever really get um somebody if you don't have some kind of insight you don't have to speak it fluently but if you don't sort of immerse yourself in a way that will um allow you to absorb you know not just their language but the way that they're using language or the words that they choose or you know what it says about them I don't think you can really quite grasp where someone is coming from um so yeah I think it opens up a thousand different doors whereas if you don't know the language and you just get by in English there's probably just one I completely agree. I think sometimes I, I in the past used to be scared to try and speak a foreign language. If I couldn't say it completely correctly, I wouldn't say it at all. And I feel like it has opened a lot of doors by me just making mistakes and probably grammatically incorrectly speaking, but, but making an effort with a language and being able to say a few sentences. And it's allowed me to meet people I would never have met. I've been invited into people's homes and I think you're right. It really does open a lot of doors. Yeah. How about you, Evan? When you've been traveling, how has it helped you? Like when when you have more understanding of a language, uh, as I said before, I do feel like you can't learn it without learning more about the culture. And so when yeah. you learn more about a culture, you then learn more about the person associated with it. So uh, you can just so much more easily connect to people because it's like uh, if you don't have any hobbies, you have not not many ways to connect to people but as soon as you learn a language you're adding such a you're not just learning the language learning so much more about a person and so when you meet someone like in my instance uh in german uh even if we have nothing else in common i can be i'm so interested in so many facets of their upbringing and their culture because that's what i've learned about and so it's almost like inherently i'm now more interested in them and so it's allowed me uh, to meet and talk with people that i never would have met because they don't speak english i've made quite a lot of friends on instagram that are just uh, german influencers that i chat with in german all the time and they don't speak english at all and so i wouldn't have made these friends if i hadn't Uh, wanted to learn German and had an interest in it. You've both, I believe, lived in the UK and the US. Is that right as well, Susie? You spent some time with So we've talked quite a bit about foreign languages, but in terms of English, how do you think it differs between the US and the UK? I'm a big fan of American English. I just can't understand why we reserve in Britain this real hostility towards this particular version of, you know, of our language. Um, And the thing I always say to people anyway, when they start complaining about those Americanisms, is that actually most of them began with us anyway. So we used to talk about fall for autumn, which is short for fall of the leaf, 
and spring was spring of the leaf, which I think is really poetic. Um, and uh, likewise, we had trash, we used to call pavement sidewalk. And also when people really have a go at me on Twitter for you spelling realize with the I-Z-E and say, that's the American way. I say, no, actually, it's also the Oxford way because it's closer to the Greek um, etymology, etymologically. So you could say that the Americans also know a thing or two about etymology. Um, so yes, I just don't understand why we hate Americanisms, so-called, so much. Plus, America gave us skedaddle, which is one of my all-time favorite words. Great word. There's so many slang words I had to learn in the UK that I just, I still get confused with certain things. I don't know whether that I'm well chuffed means I'm very pleased or I'm not very pleased. I genuinely think they go both ways because I'll be, hear someone say, oh, I'm well chuffed about that or oh, I'm well chuffed about that. I don't know. Uh, whereas uh, in the US, we also have so many different slangs depending on what area. Uh, because I grew up in a very Italian immigrant state, there's so many words that started off as a old Italian uh, expression and now it's a bastardized American English one. Um, one in specific that for some reason is popping into my head is the word agita or agita. Like, oh man, that guy on the streets give me major agita. And that's just a the Italian word of agita, agita, A-G-I-T-A. But slang eventually got it to agita, which just means I'm, I'm agitated. It's giving me a bit yeah. of agita. Do you often come across words in the UK that you haven't heard before, British Britishisms? Annoyingly, all the time. It, it a quick example. I the other day I was cooking a recipe and it used scallions, and then my flatmates mm. were like, "Scallions? It sounds like a pirate. It's a spring onion." <laughs> I'm like, "Okay, I'm Are sorry." It's all from the movie Oliver. <laughs> hey, listen, <laughs> one of them actually is. Do you guys have any stories from where your knowledge has particularly helped you when you've been abroad? So maybe you've been stuck. You've had a uh, uh, difficulty. Last year, I went to Neuschwanstein Castle in Bavaria, and you're not allowed to fly a drone there, but I wanted to fly a drone there. And so I flew a drone there. And uh, however, I didn't have the right kit, and I tried to do it the best I can from the actual <laughs> castle. I basically <laughs> did such a stupid thing. And as I'm like landing it, these two uh, German security officers just came over to me, just screaming in German, like, you take that thing down right now. And I'm like freaking out. But luckily, I knew enough of the language that while they were like pulling me aside to like tell me off and I, I managed to slip the memory card out of the drone, put it into my pocket. And then they were trying to tell me that I was doing wrong things. And I managed to get myself out of it and be like, oh, I'm so sorry. I did not know. I can't understand German that well. And I didn't read the signs, but I know enough to say I'm sorry and I'm such an idiot. I kept saying, ich bin ein Dummkopf, uh, stut mir leid, uh, I'm so stupid. And they let me go and I got good footage. I had a similar drone story actually. So I'm really? kind of the same as you. So I'll just throw the drone up and see what happens <laughs> and take it down if someone requires it. And I was in Pakistan last year and I'd got this amazing mm -hmm. shot and, and the army turned up and uh, it wasn't <gasps> oh, a great yeah. situation. But the only phrase that I knew was uh, a bicep toter adjust caro means like brother adjust a little bit. Um, which <laughs> was this like loosen up? Is it that kind of thing? Chill out, bro. <laughs> yeah, ch chill out, bro. <laughs> Just a drone, bro. <laughs> well, I don't know how to say drone. I literally know that one sentence, but uh, it was enough to actually make people uh, make people smile and think, okay, she's one of us, at least with this one sentence, anyway. That's awesome. <laughs> um, so, Evan, how do you get the um? What influences you with your videos? Where do you get the ideas for your different videos? I consider a lot of my favorite videos that I make are mostly 
I call them pub banter. So it's stuff that you find interesting to chat about between differences in cultures in a pub with your mates. And then I just try and go, that's a good idea. Let's not talk about it. We'll film it with our reactions and like talk about it. And yeah, basically I like it to be situational real life stuff. Uh, or if it's a heavily researched video, something that I care about, like the U.S. tax system and how it's really bad for uh, people that are expats, uh, or the German language, just something I'm really interested in, and hope that by being really passionate about a topic, other people can uh, see that and enjoy it as well. One of your videos, Evan, um, really reminded me of, um, going back to that question of, you know, where things have got you out of trouble, mm-hmm. um, it, it wasn't in Germany or in a well, it was in the US and I finished my MA in German and then I was teaching, um, just to call them freshmen, even though there were lots of them were women, effort. fresh, fresh people. You don't say fresh women unless you're hitting on them. It's freshmen. Yeah. Freshmen. Okay. Those are fresh women. Fresh, fresh women. Well, I was teaching a class of uh, freshmen in their first year. So this, this was um, at the university and they were quite reluctant. They were having to do German as their kind of compulsory, obligatory language. So they weren't very enthusiastic. And um, we were going through some pretty turgid German textbooks, to be fair. And I closed them and I decided to tell them about one word, which Evan uses in his in his video, which somehow really got them interested. And it was Zitzpinkler, um, uh-huh. which is um, basically a German word for someone, particularly a man, I think, who doesn't seem to have much uh, oomph or courage. And it's just a weed, as we would say in British English. And Zitzpinkler is someone who wees sitting down or pees sitting down. And it's such a sort of strange idea, very, very German, probably. But that really opened their eyes. And then they started looking at all sorts of other kind of compound words, which, again, maybe spoke a little bit about the German culture and why they had words for these things and then I was off and it was it was such an icebreaker for me um to close that textbook and then start getting into some of the words that made them laugh um but Pfeifengesicht I might have mentioned which I've used against Jimmy Carr on the comedy show that I do which is a face that deserves to be slapped (laughs) a little bit violent but it's a great it's such a brilliant brilliant word um so yes Evan uses lots of these in his brilliant videos I can recommend them danke so Susie, we talked about how popular Evan's videos were. Obviously, Countdown has had this long-lasting popularity. And you might not necessarily have thought that a, a program about language would have been so popular across so many different generations. So what do you think it is about the show that draws people in time and time again? Um, I this easy answer for me, this one. It's not about who's on it, uh, or at least who's presenting it. I, I don't think. I think it's all about the format um, because it's a sort of thing that I think almost everyone in the UK has seen at some point, whether they're, you know, when they were little and they were watching with their grandparents or I get quite a lot of emails from women who are in labour and then it's the, it's the thing on the hospital TV screen. Um, and you just can't help but play along. And um, alongside the traditional countdown, we also have, um, I mentioned the comedy version, eight out of 10 cats does countdown. And um, even though the audience there are laughing their heads off at the comedy, you can actually see them really trying to crack the number challenge or come up with the longest word. And some of them have even got pens and paper and there's no shame in it at all. You know, people don't care if they look nerdy because everyone's doing the same thing. I guess it's a way of making learning fun, isn't it? I've found this when I taught English in Vietnam and I'd be teaching the kind of four and five-year-olds and they wouldn't know that they were learning. They just thought they yeah. just got to hang out with this girl that sang to them sometimes and and they enjoyed that and it was a way to make learning fun without realising that you're kind of in the classroom environment. 
I think that's a brilliant idea. I went to a school, a primary school quite recently where they have a lot of international um, students. And um, I guess being in Oxford, there are a lot of visiting academics and, you know, everyone's speaking a different language. And in this one class, the kids were learning five different languages. And I, I listened in on a Mandarin class and the teacher was just amazing. She was just, it was total immersion so there's no English at all but she was just hopping from one child to another and pointing something out about them and and laughing and uh, you know in a lovely way and um and giving them the Chinese for it and as, as well as China as Mandarin they had um Italian German French Spanish and English I think it was and they had they were clearly getting if not fluent I mean pretty proficient in all of them and I was just in complete awe I mean how amazing is that so I think you're right if you don't know you're learning and you're having fun at the same time that's just the key isn't it yeah so I think we've got time for one more question if you guys were going to give some one golden piece of advice to a younger person who was thinking about learning a language what would it be I would say just be consistent with it I think my number one advice for a lot of things is just a lot of people will say like how do I start how do I start and I always just say just start like just start doing it and then try and build like at least 10 to 15 minutes a day because a lot of people get overwhelmed at the thought of well oh there's it's so far away the goal that I want fluency is so far away that they then don't put any time in whereas as long as you just dedicate a small amount of time every day and be consistent with it you'll actually learn something and also even if you don't fully get to that fluency thing you'll be able to tentatively see that you've now made progress which then builds your confidence so just start doing it and just try and be consistent putting in a little bit of time a day for me i would say it would be never make assumptions so no matter what yeah. someone says to you if someone says oh i don't like that language or or that just sounds really weird or whatever just do what you want to do and if you find something and a language that makes your heart sing genuinely just says something to you forget what everyone else is saying just just go for it because um that way you'll really find your your passion follow your passions i like that advice so i think unfortunately that's probably all we've got time for today but a really big thank you susie and evan for those interesting stories and all your insights thanks for thank having you. us not often that I get to use the word but Pfeifengesicht, so I'm very happy. Oh, I use it every day. <laughs> I love us some mean people. So next time, we're going to be diving into the world of sport, and I'm going to be joined by footballing legend, Mr. David James. In honour of our expert guest, Susie Dent, who's known for her word of the day on Twitter, we are giving you the opportunity to win a year's subscription to the Rosetta Stone app. All you have to do is tweet Susie with your favourite foreign word of the day from a language discussed in this episode, along with the hashtag more than words, and Susie will retweet her favourite. Bonne chance!